Hello, welcome to the Level 9 Podcast. It's the first episode of 2021. This is Jesse, and I am joined here, as always, by Alex. Hi, Alex. How are you doing today? I'm not doing too bad. Yourself, Jesse? Oh, I'm pretty good. Just trying to stay busy, writing a lot more, being stuck at home uh, during the lockdown right now, just trying not to go crazy. Yeah, I feel you there. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you, to my friend. We are starting off the new year with a very exciting guest. You may know him as Victor Lucas's tall video game reviewing partner on EP Daily and Reviews on the Run, or his heavily pixelated podcast available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and pretty much anywhere else you listen to podcasts. We have Scott C. Jones. Hey, guys. Such an honor to be here with you today. Happy New Year to everyone. Yeah, Happy yeah. New Year to you, too. Thank you very much for uh, taking the time to speak with us a little sure. bit. Sure. No, I'm, I'm really honored. I'm, I'm happy to, uh, to help support the, the launch of this podcast. It seems like an exciting time in your lives. Um, I think it's also like my, I have so many questions for you, but, but I, I don't want to be rude and take over your show before you guys get a chance to uh, drive. So, so I'll let you guys start with questions and I'll get to my questions later. That, that sounds, sounds great. Yeah, that sounds excellent. So uh, how have you just been doing the past few weeks and months? I think you're in Toronto now, if I'm not mistaken. I am in Toronto. I uh, It's not been an easy portion of my, I mean, life just hasn't been easy for anybody for the last year. And um, I've been, I was mostly going with the flow, getting through my days, enjoying, you know, myself as much as one can. I just live alone with my cat. I'm not married. I've never been married. So I don't even have, you know, a divorce behind me at this point. So I feel like I've in some ways lived a, a, a more limited life than, you know, some of my peers have at this point. Um, so uh, I'm just kind of here with my cat and, you know, we're trying to enjoy each other's company and I'm, I'm not sure what else there is for me to, to learn about him after almost 20 <laughs> years of the two of us being together. He traveled from uh, New York to Vancouver with me when I first started working with Victor. And uh, he moved from Vancouver to Toronto. So he's, he's got a, quite a few frequent flyer miles for a cat. Um, and uh, yeah, no, I, I, uh, I'm just... I don't know, like it's the end of the year was tougher for me. I had, you know, not to sound like an old man, but I'm a mature man at this point. And my retina in my right eye became detached, uh, which I didn't know was even possible. But uh, I ended up in the ER uh, getting this diagnosis. And I had uh, so far, I've had three operations trying to reattach this uh, retina and I won't gross you guys out like eye stuff always gives me the creeps you know but I had all of the eye stuff trust me in the last two months so I haven't really been able to see very well for about two months now which has really restricted uh, my ability to game that's what I like to do over the holidays which are you know just behind us now obviously um, but I even with one eye I sort of I could not not game. I had to play games. So even with one eye, I just sort of suffered and did the best that I could and gamed with one eye. Really, I mean, doing everything with one eye, really, for the first time in my life, which always seems a little comical and a little sad and tragic at the same time. For sure. Have you kind of run into any unique challenges that you didn't really 
think of prior to the, uh, the all of that eye stuff that you've kind of run into only having uh, the one eye? You know, I've, I've become friends with certain people. Again, like Heavily Pixelated has been so great for me because it's really... Um, it's really given me a chance to really connect with gamers. Not, I mean, like, I love gamers. I've been a gamer my whole life. I can't remember a part of my life where I wasn't thinking about games, obsessed with games, and I never really understood uh, my appetite for video games and for, for technology because I have a brother who's a year younger than I am. And he's sort of, he's like a normal person with games. Like, he has, like, an old... I don't know, like an old Xbox or something, but he doesn't really care. You know, he's done other things with his life. He has other interests, but for me, it was always games. Um, always, always. And so, you know, I tried to do other things. I tried to be a more serious person, a more respectable adult. I remember I was in graduate school. I, you know, uh, my master's program uh, and I was studying poetry and teaching classes, but even then, you know, I'd go home at night and I would just kind of blow off steam by playing the Super Nintendo, you know, I was just, I'd have some game I was into. I felt such shame that I was doing this. I didn't feel like a real student. I didn't feel like a real teacher, a real writer because I was playing these video games. And then like, I just kind of, I kind of had to be patient and wait for for the world to, to catch up with us. We were all out there, like all gamers were out there the whole time. We just weren't really connecting. We weren't really recognizing gaming as a, a, a you know, a, a viable way to sort of spend your time. But now we do. And now we all sort of are like, yeah, I love games too. You know, I'm into them. And, and so it feels good to, to just be able to have that kind of openness and comfort with one another now. You mentioned uh, that you've been kind of stuck playing games with one eye, even though uh, that's still, you can still make it work. What game uh, are you currently stuck on right now? Uh, well, I, uh, you know, I, I'm a little older than you guys are. Uh, so I, I really got into the Tony Hawk, like remastered version. I don't skate. I've never, you know, I grew up in upstate New York. Uh, in a really small town and I have I've never skated in my life I do not care about skating at all and I just remember uh, a friend of mine just saying this game's really cool you got to try it out and I went to his house and he kind of get walked me through how to play it and what you're supposed to do what the objective is you had two minutes to collect all the skate letters I love that stuff, man. Like I will always love that stuff. And what I love about this remastered version is that all the old soundtrack is still there. Um, and again, these songs don't mean anything to you guys because you're so young, but they just, <laughs> it's so nostalgic <laughs> for me. Why are you laughing, Alex? Or are you less, is that Jesse? I think I've been both of us kind of giggling a little bit. <laughs> Why? Because you're making fun of the old man who likes to play an old remastered version of Tony Hawk games. Uh, no, actually, um, it's kind of funny you say that because, like, that's one of the games I've been playing too, and I I love it. Like, it, oh. it kind of it brought back all the nostalgic feelings too. Like, I was still fairly young when it came out. I think it was like eight or nine, but <laughs> it was like one of the, it was like one of the first games I've ever played. So yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. It was uh, it I I was I was in my twenties. Uh, this was after uh, graduate school. I'd graduated and moved to New York City. 
and I was working a, a job that I just hated and I felt awful and I was depressed, but this game gave me so much joy. In fact, the friend of mine, my friend John Galvin in Boston, he was the one who introduced me to Tony Hawk, to Pro Skater 1 and Pro Skater 2. And I sent him a, a, a long email message this morning telling him how much I was thinking about him. And it just takes me back. You know, I used to take the, the Amtrak train from New York City to Boston to visit him. And we would just hole, we would hole up in his apartment for a few days and we would just get cases of beer and we just wouldn't leave. We'd order pizza and just sit there and pass the controller back and forth. Uh, you know, he would teach me like I didn't really know anything about skater culture. I didn't know who Tony Hawk was. I didn't. And I ended up learning about all these guys like Bob Bernquist and like it was just fant a fantastic education and just part of a, a really specific moment in time when I wasn't sure what my future would be. I wanted to do something in the video games part of life. There were, you know, websites were kind of taking off. IGN was new. GameSpot was new. I wanted to write for those places. I didn't really know how to get in. I didn't know what to do. And so at that point, I was just playing games and uh, going to this awful job and just finding joy in these sort of small moments. Yeah, I remember in grade five when uh, these games were kind of at their peak. It seemed like every single one of my friends was a skateboarder, and where I walked outside, yeah. and it just seemed this game kind of uh, turned everybody into the skateboarding Tony Hawk mega fan for a few years before it kind of fizzled out after that. I just remember this this moment in New York City, which was new to me too, because again, I was like a hillbilly kid from upstate New York, uh, just looking at the you know, the sort of structure of subway stations and looking at the way in which um, like streets were laid out and kind of looking for skating lines, which was a weird thing to do for someone who'd never skated in his life. But it, suddenly I felt educated. I knew something that I didn't know before. And, um, and I also appreciated, again, the music. Like, I, th like these were music tracks that I didn't necessarily own and hadn't heard before. But I think games can really open doors sometimes. And, and that was an important door for me. It was just a really safe place for me to go when I really didn't like my life very much. I didn't like where I was working. I didn't feel like I had much of a future in my late 20s. I wasn't sure what sort of career I would, would end up with. You know, I, I just so much, there was so much uncertainty and this game was just a place where I could feel i don't know just just kind of whole and complete and talented and i could get the high score in the mall and you know like it was just fun it was just it was just a, it was really like an emotional catharsis that i desperately needed at the time i'm curious what what led you to kind of finding your or i guess creating your own path with video games uh, in your late 20s with not really knowing what to do and not really enjoying your job what what did uh, you kind of do to kind of figured that out? Uh, I knew I loved games. I knew people had real jobs uh, around games. I lived in Chicago long before New York in my early 20s. Before I moved to New York, I, I had Chicago. And uh, Electronic Gaming Monthly was based in, in Chicago at the time. And I never forgot that. It just kind of fascinated me that this magazine, which was my favorite toilet book, um, it was just, it was being made in that city somewhere. And, you know, that was also 
when I kind of really fell in love with games in my early twenties, um, again, it was the super Nintendo and, um, and I just kept thinking, wow, how cool would it be to work in a place where, you know, three months before the rest of the world longer sometimes gets to play a certain game, they're playing it already in this office, you know, um, it just blew my mind that, that that was happening. And I, you know, there was really nothing else out there that excited me more than that idea. And so um, after graduate school, uh, you know, living in New York, working my terrible job, I just started writing reviews of games for free for various websites. There were a million websites back then. Everybody thought they were going to get rich. Um, and I just started writing these reviews and, I started to get familiar with who the PR people were. And I started to really, some doors opened, you know, not big doors. They weren't like, you know, doors that suddenly, you know, the whole sort of career was laid out for me, but I just kind of did it for fun. I just did it for fun. I enjoyed writing about games. I wrote well about games. I was really proud of the work I did. And, um, and then out of the blue one day, this guy who I'd known from when I first moved to New York, uh, he was working at Maxim and he said, listen, we're our video game guy left. You want to review games for us? And so that was it. Like that was it. After that, I was off. I quit my job and I started reviewing games for Maxim. I started, you know, getting invited on, on these surreal press trips. You know, I, I went to Tokyo a few times with Sony. I, uh, I just did, I went to Super Bowls. I, all of a sudden I was going to these amazing things. I was going to these events. I was getting FedExes all the time of all the latest games. And I was developing my voice as a writer, uh, you know, and, and really just kind of taking a lot of pride in this job that I kind of created for myself. I, I you know, I, I worked as a freelancer in New York for a long time. And I just kind of, I felt like I, I hadn't liked my life more than I had up to that point. And I just kind of couldn't believe that I, I had this new career for myself. Um, and from there, like everything, like I started going to E3s, you know, I, I had to pay my own way those first couple of years. It was really hard. Um, I started going to some other weird game shows like the Tokyo game show. I went to a few times. I went to Gamescom in Germany a few times. And suddenly I just kind of like, I had frequent flyer miles. I had, you know, I had like cachet and I just kind I just couldn't believe it. And then in New York, uh, somebody asked me if I wanted to go on morning television and I am not an extrovert at all. Um, I'm not a TV guy, but I just thought if I want this to be a real career for me, I have to challenge myself and do things that I don't really want to do. And so the extrovert uh, was still an extrovert on TV. I was terrible in those old clips. If you ever see them, I'm sure I just look greasy and awkward. And <laughs> I just don't belong on TV at all because I'm not a TV guy. You know, like Victor is a TV guy. He was, I, I'm assuming he was born with that voice. Uh, it's <laughs> that it's terrifying. And, and that hairstyle and, <laughs> you know, all those plaid shirts. Um and, uh, but yeah, I didn't want to do it, but I started doing it. And, and that made the companies, the game companies, it endeared them more to me. I, here's, here's this guy in New York. He freelances for everybody. I was writing, re, I was reviewing, reviewing games, not just for Maxim and stuff anymore, but I was reviewing games for, 
you know, Sports Illustrator for kids, for Blender, for, you know, for Esquire, for like every publication in New York, I, I was working. I, I still can't believe the incredible career I had. I just never thought that print media naively would ever go away, which it has at this point. Um, but yeah, I was doing TV and, you know, again, just loving my life, going to Las Vegas all the time for these trade shows and, and just staying in spectacular hotels, eating in the best restaurants. And I just kind of couldn't believe that I had this. I just felt like, you know, I was in my early 30s at that point, And I just felt like the luckiest guy in the world. And I was so proud of the work I was doing. Um, I remember uh, there was a textbook that that reached out to me uh, and they said, we, we would like to publish one of your game reviews in our upcoming version of the textbook. We, we were covering technology writing now and, and it's, it was a writing textbook the kids get in high school or something. And man, I, I, when I got a copy of the textbook with my review in it, I carried that around everywhere I went for like two weeks. I just wanted to show everyone that I had this, like, I felt like I was somebody, you know, after years and years of feeling like a nobody, suddenly I had this, I had this incredible series of experiences. I had FedExes every day to my door of, of terrific games. And I had this, this, this proof. It felt like proof of worthiness uh, in the form of this textbook. Like I still have that textbook. I, I, I bring it with me wherever I move and travel. Not, not like on the airplane or anything like that. It's, I'm not that crazy, but like, I am so proud of the fact that that textbook exists and that kids have read my stuff and they've had discussions about whether my review was a good review or a bad review. Like, I love that. I love, I love sort of furthering the education of future uh, video game journalists. Well, it sounds like you pretty much had everything you were kind of wanting. You were you were happy in New York writing for these various outlets. How did you end up in Canada next to Victor on TV? No, I was at E3 one year and, um, and I, I recognized Victor from G4. I used to watch G4 uh, because I knew some of the hosts on there and some of the hosts were, were guys from uh, New York City, who'd moved to LA, and you know there were a million shows on on G4 back then, and I just it kind of blew my mind that these guys were on television and and talking about video games. And I saw Victor and Tommy's show, and uh, I you know I don't know if I can say this or I should say this, but I, I really disliked Tommy. I just disliked him. I, I I liked Victor's opinion. You know, I didn't realize how how much Victor loves games. Um, but I just liked Victor more than I liked Tommy. And so I saw Victor at E3 one year at a THQ party. And, uh, and I just said, I got to say hi to that guy. And I just went up to him and I made an impression on him. Like I, what was going on at the time was Tommy was leaving the show and I didn't know it. And so Victor was sort of giving people, you know, sort of here's your chance to be on the show, like come on and talk about games and we'll see how we get along. And so he said, give me that guy from New York, the guy who, who came up to me at E3. So he was in New York uh, with his wife and his cameraman was there. And um, and he said, let's shoot a, a bunch of reviews. We'll go to, to Central Park and shoot. And like, I didn't know who Victor was. I didn't know like he was like this child star in Canada who'd been on TV for decades. 
he's just some goofy Canadian guy and <laughs> he was giving me a chance. And so I didn't really have like the, maybe the respect that some of the other uh, hosts who were also, you know, being given a chance to work with Victor had, cause I hadn't grown up watching him on TV. I didn't know who, who he was. And so I just gave him shit. Like I just did every step of the way. And I'm just like, I made fun of him. I made fun of his nerdiness. And I think he really appreciated that. I think he saw the value in that. I think he's, you know, like the, the, the nerd world is, you know, there's a spectrum and Victor really is on one end of the spectrum and I'm on the other side of the spectrum, but we're all in the same world um, and making fun of each other, teasing each other, pulling the rug out from each other has tremendous entertainment value. And um, I didn't even realize it. I'm just, I was just like relaxed on camera for once. You know, Victor's, he creates like a safe place and, and he's like, you are welcome to come talk with me about this subject. And so I felt very safe, very confident. And I think we just really hit it off. I think he liked me and I, and I liked him. Uh, and 9-11 uh, had happened in New York uh, and uh, I never really felt safe there it just felt like such a dense place i remember and this is depressing but i remember getting on the subway just thinking would i know if i was dead or not like <laughs> not again i'm so sorry that's so heavy but it's like i didn't know i didn't know those buildings could fall there must be so many things i don't know uh you know in the world things experiences i, I didn't understand how they could possibly happen and so i think that anxiety made me curious to uh, to move somewhere to take a break from New York. Uh, and so I did, I sublet my apartment and moved to Vancouver and I just never went back. And uh, I sold the apartment uh, sort of in like 2010, 2011. And I've just been here ever since I became a Canadian citizen last year, uh, which I'm super proud of. I love Canada. It's such a great place. How long have you been in Toronto? Uh, about three or four years now. Uh, I, I really like Vancouver, but it's it's sort of tough to connect with people in Vancouver. Uh, people are a little closed off and, and, you know, everyone says, oh, yeah, let's get together. Let's, you know, you should come over. We'll make dinner. My wife will make dinner. Nobody goes anywhere in Vancouver. Every, and I don't know if it's the weather. There's something about Vancouver where everyone just feel, lives like a more private life. Um, I just feel like there's there's more openness in Toronto. It's a colder, more New York-like city. So I feel a little more comfortable here. But Vancouver, um, like it's, you know, it, it's lovely. Like I will always love Vancouver, but it's it's a weird place. It's There's no other city like Vancouver, really. Like Toronto is very much like New York. Um, and, you know, in some ways that's a great thing, but it's not... You know, it's not original. It's not, you know, you can't you can't find another Vancouver anyplace else, but you can find another Toronto by going to New York. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. I'm from uh, Hamilton, Ontario, and it's kind of like okay. a, a knockoff Toronto. Yeah, yeah. No, I've heard of Hamilton, um, and and one of my guests from the first season of Heavily Pixelated, Ashley, uh, she's from Hamilton. Uh, she's terrific. Like such such a great person. Um, 
Yeah, I love, uh, I've love heavily pixelated. I remember you marketing it on Twitter before it even uh, began. I, it definitely piqued my interest just because I'd been a big uh, fan of you since the show. Oh, that's so nice. I didn't think anybody liked me. <laughs> I'm sure a few people do. Well, I just like, honestly, I, uh, you know, I loved being on TV. I loved working with Victor. I really did. And I was so happy to uh, have that opportunity uh, it's, you know, again, it's just like you think in terms of like what other skills can I acquire here? And so I learned how to write television. I learned how to produce television. I used to write the scripts for EP Daily. Uh, you know, Vic and Marissa wouldn't always use the lines that I wrote for them, but most of the time they would. It's kind of cool because like the first, when Jesse and I met up and kind of figured out who, that we wanted to start having guests on the podcast, your yeah. name was like top of the list, like right away. Like oh, it, was really? the number, it was the number one, like Jesse and I both grew up kind of watching you kind of on EP Daily and Reviews on the Run and we're like, we need to have them on. So, oh, I just yeah. felt like such an asshole on the show. You know, I don't know. I'm sorry for swearing. You can bleep that out. But I just, you know, I, I just, I loved Vic. I really love him. But Vic is not me and I'm not Vic. And, and I just really, our differences, I feel like I was, were, are important. And I just wanted to make sure those differences were articulated very very clearly on the show <laughs> i you know i was fine going to see an avengers movie but i wasn't like over the moon the way he was to see an avengers movie and i kind of like you know i didn't suffer through it but it's not something i would have done if left to my own devices and i was sort of grateful to uh, to have had those experiences and it just uh, i spent 10 years with vic basically you know um and, and, you know, building editorial content. And I just feel grateful that I got to do that. The thing that's sort of baffling to me is, I don't know why I didn't realize this was all gonna kind of go away, like traditional television, the kind of television we used to make, you know, it doesn't really, it doesn't, business doesn't work that way anymore. Now it's all uh, streaming and it's all social media based. and. And, you know, you have to make, you know, you have to make your content like Victor's doing on YouTube. And, and I just kind of feel sad that this career that I sort of found later in my life uh, just kind of, kind of dried up and blew away. And now I'm an older man, but, you know, I, the last 20 years have been amazing. Like I had such fun doing all of this stuff and, and traveling the world and playing the games and meeting all the people in this business. I mean, there's some ugly parts to it, like any business, but most of the video game business is really, you know, made up of dreamers and people who just, they, you know, they love ice cream. And so they want to learn how to make ice cream. You know, they, it's like, there's a childlike sense of wonder in all of this. And yeah, business gets involved and sometimes business gets ugly and, you know, things like cyberpunk happened and, and you're like, well, how did that happen? And you kind of want to you know, give it an autopsy and like, where did this go wrong? And it's just business, like business is involved and, and, you know, there are sales projections and there's publishers involved and they've got shareholders and, but still, you know, at the end of the day, like at the, at its very core, it's really just people who are super passionate about this medium and they really want to create something to build something that will endure, you know, that, that will be fun to play and that will be memorable for, for, for future generations of gamers. You know, it's, I've interviewed Miyamoto two times and just to be in the same room with that guy, like it, it gives me, you know, it makes 
the hair on the back of my neck, which is more substantial now as an older man than it used to be when I was younger, stand right up. Like it's, I just like Mario endures, man. People love those. It's more than love. Love isn't even a, a big enough word. It's a powerful, powerful thing. Yeah, well, G4 is coming back, uh, I think, this year, actually. So I'm sure that'll open uh, a lot of doors for like a, a lot of younger creators and more veteran creators like yourself to kind of get back into that genre. Yeah, if they I don't know. Want yeah, I, I don't, I really don't know. Like, part of me just wants to kind of get old now. I don't want to, you know, I, I made the joke about the toupee. I don't have a toupee, but I might need one. Like, I don't know. Like, it's just life. I, I just, I'm old now, like older. Uh, and I kind of felt sad about that for a long time. And I felt sad that of the things that I was losing. And I, you know, I, I thought maybe I should have done something different for my career and, and not sort of invested in this medium that I just didn't think would, I mean, all of the guys I know, all the newspaper guys, they're all, they all lost their jobs. They've all had buyouts. I mean, there's only one newspaper guy left I know. And, but everybody's sort of changing and evolving and, and trying to tell stories in different ways, which really led me to heavily pixelated. I just really wanted to tell something. I really wanted to build something that was really about, you know, the reality of, of video games and, and what, how we use video games and what games do for us rather than saying, well, let's have a 20 minute conversation about the jumping mechanic, you know, it's just like, no, I, I'm 51 years old. Like it's it's time for me to talk about something more mature, and 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 you know I I I was surprised that so many people wanted to listen to those stories. I, I I'm proud that that people were were uh, brave enough to share them with me, and I, I told them in the most respectful way I possibly could. Um, but yeah, I. I, they're the kinds of conversations I want to have with people. I want to have real conversations about the shit we have to deal with in life and the difficult moments and the hard moments. You know, every time, uh, you know, a girl broke up with me or somebody fired me from a job or, you know, I got bad news from the doctor. Uh, first place I'd go is the video game store. I was, it's always been this way. And I always thought I was the only one who did that, but it's, everyone does that. Everyone's always, Everyone has always done that. And now gamers are getting older. Like the median age is, is in the mid thirties now. So people are growing up and people, you know, people are having experiences and they're having, you know, their retinas are becoming detached for <laughs> some inexplicable reason. And, but games are still there. Games are still important, you know? Yeah, that pretty much was uh, going to open up my next question. Just uh, heavily pixelated the podcast you're currently working on now. Season one is outstanding. It's quite uh, heavy and emotional season. Yeah, the it's really heavy. Season. Yeah, the, but I mean, the previous season that had a feel good episodes are, are fantastic. Are you planning anything uh, this coming year with uh, yeah, heavily pixelated? I, well, the... Um... I'm stepping away from heavily pixelated. It's kind of on the back burner right now. And what happened was, uh, I don't know if you remember, there was a, an episode. Um, I think it was episode four of the first season. It was the Sid Bolton episode. Sid, Sid was a great guy, but Sid's dead, you know, and, and Sid was, Sid was 46. He was young. Uh, and, you know, part of me still can't believe he's gone. Um, and uh, what happened was after Sid died, uh, 
his wife, who was now widowed, suddenly uh, had this absurdly huge video game collection that uh, in her basement and in the uh, shed behind her house, like like probably the largest collection of video games, retro and vintage in Canada. And one of the biggest uh, in the world. And she didn't know what to do with it. She was grieving and she was, you know, blinded by this inexplicable grief of losing her husband. And I just thought, you know, the least I can do is try to help her sell it. And, um, you know, having worked with Victor for a long time, you know, Victor thinks everything's worth a million dollars, you know, like that's a million dollars. That's another million dollars. You should get two, three million for that. And, you know, I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't really know the retro. I'm not a collector. The retro and vintage markets are, are kind of foreign for me. And uh, I got a couple people to come out, like a couple of museums. Uh, I won't go into too much detail, but basically uh, I'm making a podcast right now. It's six episodes long. Uh, it's tentatively titled The Last Loot Drop. And it's basically me attempting to sell Sid's enormous collection of video games to give his wife some financial security going forward. Um, so that's what I'm working on. I did a bunch of interviews uh, over the late summer last year. And um, my friend uh, who, who used to be on Reviews on the Run, Raju Mudar, uh, Raju uh, has been uh, helping me a little bit sort of shape these interviews, but it's basically, I'm trying to learn how we uh, assign value to this marketplace, which is a little bit like a Wild West show. You know, I've talked to some of the biggest collectors in the world. Um, I've talked to the heads of museums. I talked to, I don't know if you guys have been to, um, God, I can't think of what the name of the vintage store is and ANC Games in downtown Toronto, but I love ANC Games. I talked to the guys who own the store there. Like, how do you decide what these things are worth? And how do you get someone to pay you what you think these things are worth? And, and uh, so it's basically me uh, trying to find a buyer to help his wife uh, make, you know, become financially solvent again. Um, Sid had made some business deals that weren't uh, to his advantageous to him or his family. And, you know, some were related to collecting. And I think sometimes collecting obsessively the way people, and, and we all do it. We all have some, you know, little corner of our lives where we do something that's maybe perhaps not entirely healthy. Um, yeah, I just, I just really, I just really tr have tried to understand uh, Sid's motivation. I really tried to understand the value of his collection, and and I really sort of want to, you know, just sort of develop a, a a more intimate connection with with those parts of of the video game business. The retro and vintage markets are are huge right now, but why? Like we invent these mythologies around them, like Victor. You know, this is a million dollars. Oh, that's easily a million dollars. Oh, they'll give you a million. Like, who's going to give you a million dollars? Like, where do I find those people? And so that's basically the question I try to answer over the course of six episodes, uh, which people can support on Patreon. I have a, a little Patreon. It's not much. Something, I don't know if that's something you guys are going to do in the future, but um, it helps a little bit, man. It really, to keep the lights on and to keep producing content. 
so yeah, I the, the people who are supporting me on Patreon right now are supporting me exclusively for the the uh, the last loot drop, which is coming up. Uh, hopefully, the first episode should be finished later this month, by the end of this month, and the whole thing should should be. Uh, where I'm not sure if I'm going to release just one episode at a time or all six all at the same time. I'm not sure. If you guys have any uh, opinions about any of this, feel free to share. Well, the greed in me is going to say release them all at once. Just there and binge them all. I was going to say the same thing, but I, I also think a weekly, like a, maybe a weekly thing, would be kind of cool too. Yeah, just kind of get people to look forward to. It. Yeah, and I, I think that's important. Like, I, I, I know you guys are new doing this. This is your sixth or seventh episode, um, but yeah, having regular content. Uh, which is something I could never really do with heavily pixelated. Uh, like that's a, that's a huge part of your future is making sure you, you have these shows ready on a day and a time and make sure your show is there. That's, that's going to make sure people keep coming, coming to, uh, to your show. Uh, so I don't know if you're doing that, but please do it in the future. Yeah. So far we've, tried to release it uh, once or twice a week. We waited uh, a bit longer for this one just because it was the new year and we kind of wanted to have everything yeah. set up and ready to go before. So yeah, no, like don't give it don't. I mean, again, ignore me, you know, but like do the best you can more, the more regular you are, even if the shows are shorter, or even if you chop them in half and say part two of our, our interview will be next week. Um, just making sure that there's something there every week at a specific time is really key to success, um, to building your audience. Um, it's harder now, like podcasting, when I first started making Heavily Pixelated, a couple, a couple of years ago, it was a very different business. It was more kind of, you know, garage, you know, like we're just sort of doing this weird little indie thing. And now, of course, you know, corporations are involved and, and you know, everybody's got different interests and you know true crime is such a huge 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 genre that that little podcasts like heavily pixelated they're niche now they're just little tiny niche things and you know no you know big media company is gonna give you a ton of money to uh to make something like heavily pixelated uh i just think it's a little bit tougher i think it's a little tougher now and i i think there's a little more cynicism uh, towards the podcasting medium than there was maybe when I first started making the show. Again, do not let that discourage you. You know, keep moving forward uh, and uh, and and just kind of you know keep keep following keep keep following the light. Keep keep getting the show out there, and you guys will be fine. I know you'll be fine. I realized I wanted to make heavily pixelated when I realized that I like talking to people behind the counter in video game stores. Like those people, I feel like nobody talks to them, nobody interviews them, and they talk to gamers every day, all day. They're handling games every day, all day. These people have great stories. And so I originally started making a podcast that just me talking to people behind the counter at game stores. <laughs> game stores are not going to be around for much longer. So they're kind of like, they're an endangered species at this point, but that's where I started. And it was a little too general. I didn't really know what to do with it. I just know that I needed to start experimenting with audio in order to learn how to edit and cut and bring things together. Um, but that led me to heavily pixelated. Like I ended up 
uh, I was at a, a podcast conference, the hot docs one here in Toronto three or four years ago. And I was sitting in the audience and I'm like, Oh, this is what I'll do. I'll make the, I'll make it a show about gamers, not about games specifically. And I'll talk about how games help people through challenging times in their lives. And I had it like, that was the thing. Um, but yeah, I, I just feel like, I feel like you guys are a little too broad right now. And you need to kind of ground it in, in a specific moment that people are going to want to tune in for from week to week. Um, please don't hate me for saying this. I really no, I know. We, we appreciate it. Uh, we, we definitely appreciate that because we, we were kind of having a discussion about this before the new year. We're like, what kind of way do we want to go? Right. Do we want to, yeah, we, like, we, were, we were trying to figure it out. And it's, it's nice to hear that from someone who's kind of has experience in the, in the field uh, that we kind of need to figure out on like a, a kind of our path on how we want to like, I guess, transition this podcast into. Right. And, and it's fine to like do these conversations while you're figuring that out too, you know, and hopefully some of our conversation will help you today. For example, my friend, John Tatey, who was a game writer who I met in New York, he worked at the onion for a long time. Um, he makes a podcast now called pop mom, which is really about, him having a phone conversation with his mom which is cool like i think it's great but it's like they talk about pop culture so they'll you know the masked singer or whatever the tv show is on fox they'll review the masked singer and he he lets his mom go on and on about the masked singer and then he'll he'll weigh in with a few pithy points about the masked singer and he lets his mom you know assign her a review score for fun and um, but then she tells stories about, you know, how she's in an argument with someone at the post office or like she just starts the prosaicness of her life is becomes fascinating. And it's all under this sort of concept of, you know, a mother and son having a phone call together. And it's kind of warm and sweet and honest. Um, and I, I love it. Like, I, I love those two. You know, they've they've just, they, you know, they're 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 both people I know. And so it's a little, I'm a little too close to it to, to see it objectively. So maybe I'm wrong, but I, I think the concept is really strong. Um, and so you guys need something like that. You need something weird and cool. That's going to sort of say, listen, I don't know, Jesse, I don't know, Alex, but they're doing this. And so I want to, I want to hear these guys do this specific thing. What is that specific thing? You'll figure it out do something different like like that's the thing is like there there is uncharted uh territory out there it, but it's hard to find it you know mm -hmm. but you guys will find it just be patient and and just you know like what are you guys what are the, what are your interests what what is it about you that makes the way that you love games unique like that's what's going to help you figure out uh the sort of future of this podcast yeah, that's something I want to think about. I haven't really thought about that too much, to be honest. Just, yeah, don't worry. I like again, love games, but yeah, it's uh, it just needs to be more than we we both love games, and we're talking to people who also love games. You know. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I, I agree with that. So, but again, like above all, just enjoy yourselves. Like if it's give it's if it's a gas for you guys to talk to each other and talk to other gamers, like just keep doing that too. But at some point, like you're gonna figure this out. You're gonna have an answer. I'm excited. Mm -hmm. I can't wait. With your extended uh, past career, is there any sort of uh, memory that kind of pops up at you immediately or just something that makes you 
happy that you had produced or excited that you had done? Yeah, there was one particular segment. It was on EP. Uh, one time, like Vic would always send me to New York for New York Comic Con. And um, and I'm, again, it's just not, not my forte. You know, I don't really know what I'm, I just, I know New York. I love New York. I still have friends there. And so I, he would send me to go do the show. And I was there with our cameraman, Enzo. Uh, Enzo, uh, I haven't seen him in years, but Enzo was breathtakingly handsome. I'm really not into men, but if I was, I would be into Enzo. And so Enzo and I would go to New York Comic Con and he's great to work with. He's just super quiet. Uh, and everybody's sort of stunned by how attractive looking he is. And um, and I just said, well, what if I, we did a segment where I just looked foolish, where I went around trying to guess what people are dressed as at the Comic Con and I was wrong every time. And so we did that. We did that for three days and Enzo just shot it. And, um, you know, it was exhausting, but the, the full length, um, the full length segment was probably the first time they ran it was like five or six minutes, which was long for EP. Um, and I just loved it. Like I just, it's just me looking like a jerk, wrong, 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 wrong. My guesses were always wrong. And, um, it was just fun. Like it was fun. I was super proud of it. I think Vic was a little like, ah, you know, Vic doesn't like me poking holes in the comic book culture, but I think he also realized like part of the audience of EP, you know, there weren't necessarily always crazy bat maniacs like he is, you know? Um, so yeah, he, I was really proud of that. I love the fact that we, we came up with it. And then I, you know, again, like I'm an introvert, right? I will just want to go home and I don't want anybody to look at me. And I, I talked to everybody that year at New York comic-con, which is really strange to, to think of now in the middle of a pandemic when nobody can talk to anybody, you know, I have one, just, just one more uh, question for me. Anyway, I'm not sure if Alex okay. has any more, yeah. or if you want to ask us anything you mentioned, how is the baby made? <laughs> that was my second next question. Okay. All right. We'll get to That's that. the next episode. That's sure, part two. Sure. All right through your X amount of years of uh, playing video games, is there one that kind of stands out that is one of your favorites that you feel doesn't really get a lot of credit or the attention that you think it deserves to get? Oh boy. Bit of a tough hmm. question. No. Uh, well, I'm, oh, I, you know, honestly, I'm, I do consulting now for companies. So companies, that are making games will bring in consultants to uh, review games. They, they're called mock reviews. And so I do these mock reviews and, and um, it's, it's dangerous sometimes because it's like, you know, you love something, you love ice cream. Well, if you're an ice cream taster for a company, you might not love ice cream when you're done tasting. You know what I mean? Like it's, I don't think you need to necessarily know how the the sausage is made, as they say. Like, it's just a little, it sort of diminishes the fun you used to have with these products if you realize how impossibly difficult they are to make and how botched so many of them are. You know, that's the state I have to play them in is when they're still broken. And um, like, there are just nightmarish moments 
when, and it's like, I always think I can't do this work anymore because, you know, I'll be, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll sit there for four hours sometimes. And I do the work home now. Sometimes, you know, some companies will fly you in and put you up somewhere and then bring you to the studio every day. But, you know, I'll sit there for four hours and then I'll just say, listen, I can't get by this particular section of the game. And they'll say, oh yeah, there's, there's a bug there. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm, like, I'm like, no, this is like, this is like a, some sort of nightmare from Bartleby the Scrivener or something like I, it just seems so cruel and unfair and it happens all the time. Um, but, uh, you know, the, the, the games that I feel like I love are they're, they're arcane games. They're a game called Dishonored from a few years ago. We talked about it a lot on EP. There was a first one dishonored one and dishonored two came out and um you know sales were just never great for those games and it just frustrates the hell out of me because i feel like they're so smart and they're just put together so expertly and and they're just masterpieces and yeah, I, I just to... don't understand why pe more people don't love these things and revere these things you know, the sales were just really kind of mediocre for both titles. And I don't know if they're going to make any more in the future, you know, and, and another time and place in the video game history and video game history, maybe they would have. But right now, I think if a title doesn't really deliver the numbers, especially after two installments, like it makes me super sad that people would rather play Fortnite than these games. Like, and then, you know, that there's a bit of a disconnect. You guys are younger. So, you know, you know, single player games are all I really care about. I, I know that multiplayer is the future, blah, blah, blah. But I just don't care about it. I care about story. I care about feelings. And, you know, I'm just worried in the future, we're not going to really have a lot of those two things anymore. And Dishonored, and Dishonored 1 and Dishonored 2, are two games that really stand out as games that just don't get celebrated enough. Arcane, the work that they did, it's just incredible. Just incredible. Yeah, I have to I have to agree with that. I, I like I recently I I beat uh, Dishonored 2 because it was on Game Pass. Um but Dishonored 1, like when I played that, it I I it's hard to explain. It was just such a different feel and such like a different yeah. like 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 you said, they were smart. Everything that they put in there was just Everything. felt new and fresh. Yeah, and it, like, and it, it's 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 one of those games I always remember. Like, I I think a couple of years ago, my friend and I started a YouTube channel just because we were bored. And did, I think Dishonored was on my top ten games of all time, and it's probably still up there to be honest. But um, uh, I the, I love stealth games. Like, I I love the way that stealth games they sort of create a fiction and they you know, they sort of put you in a situation where you just kind of have to stay on a rooftop and just stare down at these two guards that are walking mm -hmm. back and forth. And you're like, now they're having a conversation. Now one of them walked off into the corner. Is this the moment I should go? But I love the fact that this, you know, video games, I think of all the amazing things that they do, making you sit on a rooftop and stare at two NPCs, you know, sort of meandering around, for, for 10 minutes, that's incredible that a game can do that. And I, like, I believe, like, I believe I'm like, oh man, 
when I jump down there and, you know, I gank one of the guys and I get out of there and nobody saw me, I just feel like, like oh, man, like a badass. I'm a ghost. <laughs> you guys never even saw me coming, you idiots. You know, <laughs> it's wonderful. And it's wonderful. Like, nothing gives me that kind of feeling other than games. And, and Dishonored, that feeling, boy, you really get it. It's just such a full, rich world, just intoxicating. Yeah, I love it. Yeah. Yeah, that's why I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a big stealth fan too, and that's why I really want to make another Splinter Cell, just because of yeah. that Splinter Cell was the, like the original one that my dad and I used to play through all the time, and man, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I love Splinter Cell. It's so wonderful. It's really so wonderful. So yeah, I, I would say that. What did you think of the second one? I, I enjoyed the second one, but I probably didn't. I didn't enjoy it as much as the first. I didn't think it was um, as good, but I still re- re- really, really enjoyed it. Yeah, I had a hard time with the second one. I, mm-hmm. I, I ended up I ended up restarting it maybe 10 times, 15 times, like again and again. I just felt like I was doing it wrong and I couldn't quite get the thread and the needle with that yeah. game. And I just I couldn't get going with it. And then eventually, eventually I saw it and it turned. But man, like it, I I really ended up loving it, but it took a long it was hard to like. It was really hard to like. Um, yeah, I I agree. It was one of those games I was on my, I see on Game Pass. I installed it. I'm like, I'm playing it today. I clicked it. I was like, nah, I'm not feeling it. And like, I just kept pushing it off, but I finally managed to yep. push, push through it. And I was yeah. like, all right. Yeah. Yeah. So I think one of the uh, most challenging trophies I had ever hunted for or tried to get was uh, going through the first one without killing a single uh, person. Yeah. That, was, that was tough and not a I agree. Time. I told, honestly, like, I, I wouldn't do the whole game because that would be an enormous investment of time so hats off to you that you did the entire game but i did do the first level with without being seen and and like i it was really hard just to get through that one level but i was so proud of myself for doing it i was so proud of the fact that i got through there and nobody saw me and they were all dead it was amazing uh and I, I I love those little moments in games that really just sort of push you and challenge you and make you work. And and then the payoff is just so incredibly uh, rewarding. Uh, I will never forget that. And, and then that's one of my least favorite things is when games kind of roll over and just they're like, yeah, here here's everything. There you go. It's all yours. And I'm like, I love when games make me work for stuff really yeah. make me work they ask a lot of me and it seems ridiculous and i think no you know what i'm gonna go do that and then you do it and man like it is you are riding high when that happens yeah i, I recently uh i think i played hitman 2 yesterday actually because it's free on xbox for a little bit and man that game is definitely one that makes you work for it that game is so hard yeah i tried that game like a couple of years ago for my one of my buddies in, in new york he's just like oh you got to get the hitman too you got to pick it up and i played hitman from a long time ago and so i'm like sure mm-hmm. sure i always loved hitman and i was on that boat and i'm just like man i don't know what i'm supposed to do yeah you know? i was just like I, I this guy sees me this guy doesn't see me i poison this soup and then all the other guys run and i'm like i don't know what the hell's going on like i never really found my That's- groove so now that you have endorsed it, though, I'm going back to it. 
Yeah, I mean, like I, I only played like like the free mission that was available because I've I've been wanting to play oh. the Hitman series, so I don't okay. know how like I haven't played through the whole game. I played was one it the mission. boat mission? Uh, no, no, it wasn't the boat okay. mission. You're going like in, like this rich house and had to take out like a security guard or something. Okay, but, okay, yeah. okay, okay, yeah, okay. So everyone's homework tonight is to play Hitman Two. <laughs> sounds good i can do that <laughs> sounds good right that was one of the things i used to do on twitter i used to give people sunday gaming homework i love that idea That's yeah awesome. i just like just tell people like go to this one specific level and one specific game and acquire this one object and like that's awesome I, I i it was really fun like that's what i'm saying you guys need like a gimmick like that you guys need something that you give to listeners every week um, hmm. I mean, your your idle chit chat is fine, but you, people just really need direction. They're like, why should I, why should I give you forty five minutes of my time? Tell me what I'm gonna get. If you're gonna get a little something at the end of it, then I'll listen for sure. I'm a fan, guys. If if there's ever anything I can do for you in the future, just let me know. Yeah, we appreciate that. Thank you. Uh, is there like, do I do we just go now? <laughs> <laughs> There's an awkward pause. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, I just want to thank Scott for appearing on our, our the first episode of 2021. Good luck uh, in the future on any front. I'm always on your team. If you ever need a hand, uh, just let me know. I'm happy to help. Yeah, I appreciate that, Scott. Thank you very much. All right, guys. Happy 2021. Yeah, you as well. Yeah, stay Good. safe. All right, you too. Bye, guys.